Hi, I'm Jonathan Groves, and welcome to the Cranmer Fellows Podcast. This is a podcast that explores pastoral ministry from an Anglican perspective. If you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an aspiring minister, I, along with my co-host, Matt Kennedy, pray that this podcast will help equip and encourage you in your ministry to Christ Church. This podcast is an arm of the pastoral training program, the Cranmer Fellowship, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Church of the Good Shepherd is a congregation committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of His life, death, and resurrection through the study, exposition, proclamation, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. If you would like more information about the Cranmer Fellowship, Church of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to reach out to us about this podcast, please do so by emailing us at cranmerfellowship.com at gmail.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, good to good to have you again. My name is uh, Jonathan Gross, and as always, I'm joined uh, with Matt Kennedy. Matt, how are you uh, faring this week? Uh, very good. Very good. How about you? Yeah, doing all right. Um Spending some time in uh, Albany, which I told with, with my family, I, I told Angel today, we were out driving and I said, I don't know if you've ever been to Albany or not, but um, I said, you know, I'm not really impressed with Albany, with the, <laughs> with the, um, the capital of New York. Uh, it's very depressing here. She said yeah. that it's probably just because it's winter, but I think it's Albany. There's really, I, I'm sorry to anybody who likes Albany listening to this, but I I don't find it very impressive. Um, and I've been out running and looking at things and I, I'm i I'm not very, uh, I would hate to live here. It made me really love Binghamton, um, yeah, yeah. Which, which most people who would go to Binghamton would think exactly what I just said about Albany. So, um, uh, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we went to, we went like last year, year before last, Ann and I went. Because we thought we we never been there either, and we thought, oh, this would be nice to go to the capital. Surely the capital would be nice, and we we got an Airbnb in, in downtown, and yeah, it was it was it was like the most depressing place in the whole. <laughs> we had a good time, but it it was just like dreary and horrible. Mm-hmm. So. There's some like good looking restaurants, but mm-hmm. I mean, other than that, uh, like the buildings are very. I don't know, bland and kind of, <laughs> I, there's this, there's this one building that, or it's, I guess it's four buildings, like four towers. It looks some, like something out of a dystopian novel. Yeah. And it's <laughs> just, not, it's uh, anyway, enough about Albany. I don't, I don't care too much about it, but, <laughs> um, but we're over here and we're doing all right. Uh, but looking forward to coming back to Binghamton. So um, anyway, uh, we'll get into our topic for today. We are continuing through the essential tasks of a pastor. We've talked about preaching. We've talked about baptism now. And, you know, uh, I I gave out an invitation to anyone who disagreed with what we said about baptism to, to you know, ask questions or, or give counter arguments. No one did. So I'm just going to take that as everybody agrees with everything we said in that that podcast. So Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> obviously. So maybe that'll put someone them. up to say something. <laughs> Waiting for all the Baptists to stream into the Anglican Church. <laughs> yeah. The persuasion, the presentation. It, that <laughs> wave is coming. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, so uh, we talked about baptism. 
And uh, we talked about it in comparison to um, circumcision in the Old Covenant. And if we look at the Old Covenant and we think of the, this, the primary sacraments of the Old Covenant, we think of maybe circumcision and Passover. Um, and uh, we see um, a connection uh, to now the New Covenant baptism taking over for circumcision and the Lord's Supper taking over for the Passover. And I, I um, we make that connection because where does the Lord <laughs> institute the the Last Supper or the the Lord's Supper well, at the Last Supper, which was which was Passover, Christ being now the the true lamb who's who 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 gives his body uh, over over for us so um i i think it uh would be good for us to um do a little bit of a, a dive into communion and talk about different views of what's going on uh, during communion because there are a lot of them so when we're talking about communion i i thought there's a there's multiple i guess places we could start Multiple things we could we could start with, but I I thought, and we'll, we'll probably get to a lot of that stuff. But I thought, you know, let's go ahead and start with asking the question: uh, What happens <laughs> uh, during communion? There's multiple views, right, Matt? Um, can you walk us through uh, the the different uh, some of the major views of um, of what happens during communion when you take the bread and wine? What's going on there at that moment? Sure. Uh, there's three basic streams um, that you can fall into. And one is, uh, I guess the first we should probably start with is the um, idea that there's some kind of change that takes place in the elements themselves. So the bread and the wine um, at at the moment of the consecration of those, of those elements. So the Roman Catholic Church teaches that um, the the appearance, the accidents, they would say the the, the all of the physical qualities of bread and wine remain at least outwardly the same, but there, but the, but the substance of those, of those elements has been completely changed. So that it is, it is the actual body and blood, um, blood of Jesus. And it's not, uh, it's no longer bread and no longer wine, even though it, lo it looks like bread and wine. Um, and so, and so that, um, that's called transubstantiation. The, the substance of the bread and the wine are just transformed or trans uh, changed to be uh, to be Jesus's body and blood. Um, or the Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, has a similar, very. I mean, they don't describe it in the same terms, but they have the same view. So that's why there's there there can be intercommunion between those two mm. uh, those two groups. Um, but they they think the same thing happens. So they would they Eastern Orthodox people use different language to describe things than, than the West Western Christians do, but that's, that's how they would also agree. They also agree with that position. Um, uh, next, maybe down the, the, the rung of, uh, of from transubstantiation to the other extreme, which is the memorialist position right under transubstantiation. You might push the put the Lutherans there. Uh, some people say they have what's called consubstantiation. The Lutherans hate it when you say that. So, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say consubstantiation, but uh, but it, there is kind of. A, they do say that Christ is joined to the bread, and his body is in a in a, in a very substantive way is joined to the bread and to the wine. I, I think that uh, the analogy they make they make is the analogy of the incarnation, where God the Son 
um, took on human nature without that nature evacuating, like the, the, the uh, human nature remained human. Um, and yet Christ was joined, or the, the son joined himself to that fullness of, of human nature. And the same way they would say that, uh, that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ is truly joined to the real bread and the real wine. So it doesn't stop being bread or wine, like the Roman Catholics would say. But it also something is added to it rather than subtracted from it. Um, so again, looking from the outside, we call that uh, people who are not Lutheran call it consubstantiation. Um, but do they have a do they have a name? I I forget what they call it, and off the top of my head, it, it slips off the top of my head. But um, they do talk about it in a different using different language than consubstantiation. I, I heard it um, said like an analogy you said once. I don't remember where. Um, where it's like if you put a piece of metal in fire for a while and then you take it out, right? It's that that is still metal, but the fire has been joined to the metal. Um, I guess I've always been confused how I guess they see that happening. Like, is it his physical body joining to the bread and wine is a spiritual spirit it's not spiritual life. presence it's a it's a substantial presence it's like it's like the uh it's like the roman catholic understanding of the presence of, of, the, of the of the and so the so lutherans will in a lutheran debate with us with anglicans or with other with those who don't hold to their view of communion um the debate would be about the ubiquity of Christ's body, like wh whether Christ's body in heaven has the capacity to be in millions of places at once when communion is 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 received. So they, they really think of it as a substantial feeding on the body and blood of Christ, not just spiritual. But it, but it's a, the difference between that and transubstantiation is it's almost two elements joining together. Versus, as one, right? So as one, yeah. Right. So like transmutation, it's the changing, the actual changing into a different substance. It's two yep. substances joining together and becoming one. Kind of like the, the, again, the analogy is the incarnation, right? So you have mm -hmm. there's not there's not two beings, there's or, or two persons, there's one person with two natures, right? So the, mm -hmm. so then two distinct natures. Uh, they're joined together as one, and yet they, there's no admixture between creature and creator. So, same kind of things going on here is that you have this one in the one element. You have the body of Christ, and you also have the, the creature bread or the creature um, wine. So, before we before we get into uh, the other views, I, I do want to ask why um, why is it it's so important for Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, and 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 for us as well, to try and determine how Jesus is involved here. Like, wh why is that? So why why do we argue about that? It, almost like in hearing the the Lutheran view, it, it's like it's very important to them that Jesus is here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, where in the scriptures do we kind of get that? precedent it's like okay like he we need to figure out how he's here in this in this supper uh okay so lutherans and roman catholics both will will take you to the last supper of course where jesus says this is my body and he 
um, when he consecrate, or they would say that's the moment of consecration. Um, and, and so, um, they would say that all other views that don't have the substantial presence of Christ's body in that, um, in the bread or, or transforming the bread into Christ's body totally, uh, you're, you're undermining the, the clear and the clear words of Jesus that that's what he said. So there, there's a, the words of Jesus there. And then also you have John six, which, uh, which lots of, which, um, Roman Catholics and Lutherans and, you know, a lot of Christians recognize that has Eucharistic overtones, even though it was in, historically that took place before Jesus instituted the Eucharist. Um, but, uh, there Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to die. So, so that's, that's very visceral language, right? And so Roman Catholics and, and Lutherans go, go to that text and look, this is, how, how do you do that? Well, you do that when you take communion. That's how, that's how you do it. Um, so the, the, but the theological state things that stake are just are more that it's more than just, you know, in the interpretation of these two passages and other, other passages are, are, are there also, but it's, it's also, um, uh, a, a, a debate about Christology because, um, we all, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Anglicans, everyone agrees that Jesus ascended into heaven with a with a real human body. So he left heaven. Well, he didn't really leave heaven, but, but uh, he descended. He, he he became incarnate, and at that point, there was something something added to uh, to the Son that he hadn't had before, and that's human nature, and that, and that's and that's ne- and human body, flesh, everything having to do with humanity. Uh, and he, had, he didn't shed that with the ascension. He he retained. He's still a man, uh, in the fullest sense of that word. Um, and so, uh, and we, we know that after the resurrection, his body had had seems to have had. I always say we know. I, I say we know. We don't know as well as we think we do. I think, but his body does seem to have be capable of different things. Mm-hmm. So Lutherans will point out. Well, look, he. Yeah, he walked through a locked door. Um, he appeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he disappeared. Yeah, it, How does a physical <laughs> body do that? Yeah. So and I, I think all those arguments are a little bit overwrought because, mm-hmm. because um, God can, he could take me right now and move me somewhere else, and in a twinkling of an eye, and that would mean my body has ceased to be a human human body with all its human characteristics. That would just mean God has done a miracle, right? So. So I don't know. I don't know how much we can read into his appearances and disappearances, his movement from one place to another, his appearance in the locked room. I don't know, I don't know how, how much of that we can read as, oh, look, his body is capable of these, these different things now. So the reason I'm making all these caveats is because that's part of the argument. Um, every, uh, from the Anglican perspective, we would say when you insist on the substantive presence of Christ's body in the elements of communion, you, 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 in some sense, dehumanize uh, Christ. You, 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 because this is human body they're talking about, right? And and there's no clear evidence for me to say that his human body can be everywhere at once, because that that's a that's a that's an attribute of divinity, not an attribute of humanity. And it's an, it's actually omnipresence or the ability to be in multiple places at one time. That's an incommunicable attribute of divinity, we would say, not not a communicable one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's it's really it, it messes with the hypostatic union, 
the the union of Christ, the 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 perfect union of Jesus's humanity and his divinity. It confuses that, um, and and there's where you get into a whole bunch of christological problems. Uh, uh, confusions of the hypostatic union. Uh, if you read back into early church history caused a lot of problems. There was like a lot of church fights over major church fights, church councils over, over this. Um, so, uh, but the argument from the Roman side and the Lutheran side is, well, look, his body is ubiquitous because it's a resurrection body. And in his glorified state, he's able to be in multiple places at once. So we would just disagree with that. Yeah. It does seem to, well, it doesn't seem that this is an argument against it is, that it um it uh, sort of changes the nature of a sacrament um because the whole idea of a sacrament or a means of grace is that it's a physical means um that yes god uses to do something but it's a but it's you don't the means doesn't change um uh and so well then, what? Does that's, that... a, that's that's a very Anglican answer. In fact, that's what uh, our articles say about about this about mm. transubstantiation. Anyway, oh, I've never read that article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it says um, transubstantiation. This is Article Twenty Eight of the Lord's Supper. Transubstantiation or the change of the substance of bread and wine in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by Holy Writ but is repugnant to the plain words of scripture overthroweth the nature of a sacrament and hath given occasion to many superstitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so another problem with the, with the view is, is uh, I, I think you're right. I, I totally agree with what you just said. You're absolutely right. It, it does bring us problems with what is a sacrament because the sacrament is a, 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 a natural element like water, um, which isn't changed. doesn't become something else. It stains water. Um, that that is the token or the sign of the of the inward invisible grace. Um, so, but another thing that we we might say is in response to especially to our Lutheran friends, um, and they are our friends. I I, I like Lutherans, <laughs> nice, nice people. Love Lutherans. Uh, we love Lutherans. <laughs> right, but Jesus did not have his ubiquitous, his quote unquote ubiquitous resurrection body on the Last Supper. He didn't have that. He had his pre-resurrection body prior to his crucifixion. So, if in fact, when Jesus says, "If that's a, if that's an, if the argument from the words this is my body is going to be consistent," then you would have to have somehow for Jesus's body to be ubiquitous already before the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Before, yeah, before the, when, when he's holding that bread up to those disciples, he's holding up bread. He's not, he's not ubiquitous. Even by the Lutheran on our Lutheran's argument, he's not yet, he does not have yet yet have that glorified body. So what is what is he holding up? He's holding up bread. And yet he says, This is my body. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think what he's doing is 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 doing what he's done. He does all through the gospels, but especially in John, where he says that makes these I am statements. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the door, I am the true vine, I am the you know, and I know. When I make that argument, my Roman Catholic friends and my Lutheran friends laugh at me. But that's that's uh, it, you can't. I don't think I don't think you can get around the, that that precedent. Yeah. Um, of, of the, Jesus speaking that way, um, and it 
and then to say suddenly that he, now he's really talking about really being bred. I don't know. <laughs> Can't go there. Well, then are we uh, um, memorialists? We are not memorialists either. No, memorialists are um, are the furthest, further extreme on the other side of the Roman Catholics, I, I, I suppose. Um, and they would, they believe, mostly these are Baptists, uh, Sons of God, Charismatics, not, not Charismatics, I mean, Pentecostals. Um, mm -hmm. uh, most lot of congregationalists hold this view uh, that it's a almost like a memory aid. It's a mm. the, the the when you have the the bread and the most people who are memorialists have grape juice um, and the grape juice it it's supposed to remind you of his death and his and his sacrifice and so you're just kind of just to think about it and remember it. Um, so it's a memorial feast, and that helps you call to mind the, the thing um, that he that he'd done. But um, not, there's no presence. Like you're not. Yes, Jesus is present in the in the room, and he's present in the service, and all of that. They would they would argue, but he's not. There's nothing that you're you're not feeding on his body and blood. Right. Yeah, they'd I mean, probably so. say or they'd say that in the remembrance of Christ, you know, that's going to have some spiritual uh, effect on you because right. you're remembering his death and sacrifice for you. So. Right. But what's fascinating about that is why do you need bread and grape juice to do that? Why can't you just remember? Why can't you just. Yeah. Right. Think about it right now. I'm going to say Christ's death. Was for you. You are now thinking about it. What add, What does the bread and the grape juice add to that? Right. So that's. But, well, but Jesus said to do it, so you don't have a choice. Exactly. Yeah. And he said to do it in remembrance of me. Um, yeah. So okay. So okay. So then, what do you, what do you, um, uh, what's another view? What's our what what are the articles view then? Because if it's not if it's not transubstantiation or um, consubstantiation um, or the memorialist view, then what else is there? So Article 28 says the Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have for one, for, among themselves for one another, but it is rather a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, in so much as that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ. And likewise, the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Um, so, uh, and then it, you skip over the passage that I already read about transubstantiation. And the last paragraph of the article says, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in a supper only after an heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means whereby the blood of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, reserved, carried about, or lifted up or worshipped. Um, so, so that um, that includes the the memorialist position. We do we do this definitely. It definitely is the time when we remember what what Jesus has done for us, His death on the on the cross. And it's not only that; it's a sacrament, which means, which already sets us into the realm where something's happening. Right? It's not just it's not just looking at a physical thing or taking a, a physical element there's more to it uh those who receive it rightly and worthily and with faith receive the bread actually the body of christ along with the bread 
Now, we would say in a spiritual sense. So not, not in a substantial sense, because we don't want to we don't want to mess with a hypostatic union. Right. So we we would say you are truly feeding on Jesus in a mystical way, mystical, spiritual way. Um, and and uh, and so he's really present. So we, we, we would call I would say we, we believe in real presence, mm-hmm. um, just real spiritual spiritual presence right um so there's there's a debate within confessional anglican circles about what what happens to the bread okay so among those who deny the lutheran position some do still want to say and i'm not i'm not unfriendly to this argument that at the consecration the bread itself becomes uh christ is present in a sacramental way um, not in a substantive way, but in a sacramental way. And by that, it means the, the, the bread is really consecrated. It's changed into a holy thing. Um, and what they're trying to avoid is this idea that the, the sacrament is only useful to, to those who believe, but to those who don't believe it's nothing. And they say, it's not, it's not nothing. There's lots of curses <laughs> attached to taking without faith which means it's probably something <laughs> um so so um so between those who say who, who talk about the sacramental presence and those who talk about um a more receptionist position that is yeah you're only feet you're it's only the body and blood if you received it by faith if not it's just it's nothing right so there's a little there's a debate within the school within the within the anglican school there okay okay so then what would the the person the latter who says it's when you take it by faith that's whenever it that's whenever you feed on um christ um because paul does say that you know those who take it unworthily some get sick right and some die um so what what is the response to that if someone doesn't take it by faith and of course we know well, in our article, I think I guess the next article is a twenty-nine um, says that those who partake without faith, um, they just are eating right bread and drinking wine. But it says to their condemnation, like there's right. a, there's something bad happening there. Right. Um, if 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 it's not the sacramental way and something has changed, what what's going on then? If someone doesn't have faith, they just take the bread and wine. Why is it still a bad thing? I think I think that uh, they would probably give you the same same answer that um, Baptists would give you, right? Because they, they believe in First Corinthians eleven too, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think Baptist a Baptist would say you don't get sick because there's something special about the bread. You get sick because you're violating you're you're violating God's command. You're 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 being disobedient and um, rebellious. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think the, the pure receptionist would probably want to say the same, same sort of thing. Whereas the people on the other side would say, well, look, it's a holy object. It's, it's, it's been set apart. It's been sanctified by prayer and by the words of Christ. And, uh, we don't believe in the substantial presence of Jesus in this bread, but we do believe it's consecrated bread. So you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you need to treat it reverently. And so when you don't treat, treat it reverently, there's a, there's a consequence and a price to be paid for that. So. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is something to be said for 
the blessing because you know first corinthians 10 which um that uh that article 28 uh, refers to um says that the the cup that we bless and the bread that we break is a it says participation in the body and blood of christ um now what that word there participation cornonia a fellowship with christ um in what degree like what way do we participate in christ i mean what exactly does it mean when we bless and break bless the cup and break the bread and we partake in it that we have fellowship with him is that what we would call the that's the feeding that's the that's what's going on i mean but we already have fellowship with him what's what's different with the fellowship that's in the bread and wine yeah i mean it's, it's a lot more intimate isn't it i mean I, like i uh um just the language is feeding on someone mm. <laughs> we, we don't typically do that in friendships right we don't go if you're going to have christian fellowship night no one's eaten um <laughs> you're not so the there's a there's a real mingling of person and soul and and a, a union that's established a communion that's established i guess uh, at communion um that that goes beyond a regular your regular normal relationship with him so you can you're you know you wake up in the morning you say your prayers you have you have communion with him in that sense you have a relationship with him but it's only at the table um that that there's a there's a an inter intermingling i guess between you and christ in a way that's doesn't happen anywhere else mm -hmm. uh that that koinonia word is used usually in a i think in a too flippant way like you know you're hanging out with your christian buddies watching a right. football game and you're having fellowship well yeah, that's not right with that. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah yeah um so i so in that text is really phenomenal um first uh, corinthians uh, 10 i think it is where he's saying you know if you if, you, if the cup of the lord is not participation in the in the, in the, in the is not the cup participation in the blood of christ and the bread of participation in the body of christ um what's phenomenal about that is it i think that's a perfect anglican text right because you have <laughs> he mentions the cup not changing, the, the wine not changing, it's still wine, right? And the bread is still bread. And yet at the time you're taking the bread, you're participating with Christ. You're mm. um, so there's no substantial change in the elements, but there is a feeding and a, a, a participating, a koinonia with Christ in them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 go ahead. Well, no, you keep, continue your thought. I was say, it's really hard. So we do, when we were talking about the Eucharist, uh, you can, you can't, you can't really explain what exactly is happening. And Anglicans are good about this. I think Anglicans, Anglicans are the ones that kind of draw back at a certain point and say, you know, this mystery is too deep. All I know is that I've been fed and um, that all the promises of forgiveness of sins have been sealed and given to me. I know that I'm for, I've been washed by the blood. I've been uh fed by the body all the all the promises are there that you can know have happened and then you know i'm, I'm most think most christians at least at some point in their in their lives have actually experienced that that great feeling of being fed by christ at the table um sometimes you don't sometimes you do but um but it's it's there is an experience that it goes beyond the ability to really describe it in uh uh 
dice it up and lay it down on an examination table and I'm just, you can't you can't do that with some things so. no that's a good point yeah so we have um specific elements uh or um characteristics of the supper you know this bread and wine or grape juice for the for the um uh, non-denominational or baptist um churches um it uh the the blessing the the words of institution what what role does that play like if it's not if it's not the sacramental view if, if, if there's not a change kind of a sacramental change that happens what what role do the words of institution play because we're because we do that every time right we say those words every time well, I mean, I do tend, I tend to favor that view of, of the sacramental presence, but so, so I, I would say there's, that the, at the, at the, at the consecration, we are setting apart these elements as holy and as, as things, um, through which, um, Christ communicates himself, um, in a spiritual way, uh, to, to his people. But I think on the other side of the question, um, they, they, they would definitely, they would assert the power of the word of God, right? The, the, at the, at the Eucharistic prayer, you're repeating the words of Christ, um, and and then and it's the base and it's in the basis of faith and the promises in, in those words as approach by faith received. So it's super important to to have the words of institution, the prayer of institution. Um, in fact, if you don't have the words of institution, you don't have the sacrament because right. it's the word that, it's the word that consecrates it. <laughs> right. So so if you um, uh, to have the supper, you have the, the bread wine or grape juice you have the blessing in the words of institution and um as the article says you receive it by faith um in uh in you know we're running up on our time and there's a lot more i want to talk about but maybe we'll just uh, extend this to two episodes but i did want to um get your thoughts on like this crazy weird thing that happened in 2020 where i guess you know you can trace it back to people's understanding and uh, belief about what communion even is. Um, but this thing in 2020 where, you know, churches couldn't meet and yet they would do it online. And then you'd have a, a communion service and, you know, people were like, like taking photos of their yeah. communion, which, which sometimes consisted of things like chips and right, right, right. or like a Gatorade or something. <laughs> so like, so um, but you know, why is that not communion? <laughs> like, well, I guess well, the question is like, why does the matter of it, like the element, like actually matter? Like, why? So, because some people, you know, would say, well, it doesn't. I can, I can have communion with my my coke and my chips. Well, <laughs> I think R.C. Sproul had a good answer this aside from saying what's wrong with you people he would also say something <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if, I think if 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 christ had wanted us to take communion with doritos and diet coke he would have consecrated doritos and diet coke but he didn't he did he did bread and wine so who are we to decide oh it doesn't matter what 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 mm -hmm. now, i think that's one of the more and if, if one of our listeners has done this i'm not i i absolve you but don't do it again <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it's arrogant. It really is arrogant to take this thing that Christ has instituted um, and decide to change it up to fit our own whim and our own, you know, a lot, a lot of that's um, trying to be hip or trying to be relevant or trying to be whatever. 
Yeah, it's the sacrament's not about you being hip irrelevant. It's about Christ feeding his his flock, and and he's 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 the he's the one who presides at the feast, and so he gets to determine what's served. Mm-hmm. So, and and so he's determined that it will be bread and wine. So we're going to add bread and bread and wine. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and also it does kind of go back to that um, conversation we were having about baptism and those who you know would, would get saved and think, well, I don't need to be baptized. I I believe in Christ, but if you see it as just purely I'm proclaiming to people that I'm saved, um, then there's a disconnect between that and Jesus's words. If you, in the same way, if you see communion as, uh, you know, it's just me remembering, um, right. it's just me having this drink and this little snack, remembering um, what Jesus did yeah. for me then, you know, the logical conclusion is, well, it doesn't really matter what you use. What... I can remember Jesus with my Doritos, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know a lot of good Baptist friends who would not. Would of never course. Me too. Yeah, right, me right, too. Right. I'm just saying that, but like you can follow, right. the, you could follow the belief to that practice. I mean, right, it, right. It, it is, right. it is I mean, they would probably disagree, but I, I kind of see a consistency there. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, okay. me too. yeah, that's not, don't do that. Right. So don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should probably talk about, like, I know we're out of time, but uh, maybe next in the next episode, uh, you know, we didn't really talk about the Presbyterian position, which is very similar to the Roman, to the Anglican position, but uh, Calvin, uh, uh Calvin emphasized the ascension of the church up to heaven at the Eucharist rather than the descent of Christ to the table um, at the Eucharist. So uh, it's as if at the moment the, the, con- the elements are consecrated that we are all gathered before the throne of Christ in heaven and he's feeding us um, spiritually there. Uh, and it's a different emphasis of direction. You know, Lutherans are always Lutheran. If you, if you talk to our dear Lutheran friends, they always talk about how badly Calvin mangled the thing. But, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it is, it is, it is a significant, um, uh, very, it's, it's a different way of looking at it. Um, but it is a significant way of looking at it because it does po- point this portrait of the whole congregation being truly surrounded by saints and angels and all the rest um and christ yeah, literally at christ's throne as you're as you're feeding so. yeah that would um having that picture makes taking the supper without faith um even worse <laughs> yeah. Yeah. even worse you're yeah. in a you're in a, 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 a a group of people in heaven before the throne and you don't, no, you don't we, belong right? there. <laughs> you know, you're right. taking it. Um, <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can um, dissect that a little bit more uh, next week, but yeah. Cause yeah. I, I also, I want to get to um, maybe next week we can talk about, you know, what uh, does it actually mean to be a worthy recipient um, yeah. about, you know, um, that for a minute. Also, uh, we should discuss the, um, debate on whether children of believers, um, you know, should receive like young children right. should receive right. or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, even in Ang- Anglican circles, that's a, that's a debate. Um, so we should, we should talk about that too, but 
Well, well there you go. We'll make this a two-part um, <laughs> series on the Lord's Supper. Um, so um, thanks for listening to this first part. Thanks, Matt, for um, clarifying these views yeah. uh, for us. Uh, and we'll be back, Lord willing, next week to continue our discussion on the Lord's Supper. Obviously, you're not going to want to miss it. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Absolutely.